it is so good to be together with those of you in the room and with those that we get to join you online. We're so grateful to be together with you. Uh, my name is Casey, if we haven't met. And for those that are new with us, we are uh, so grateful that uh, you're here and uh, in, in whatever capacity, if you're online or here in the room, we're so grateful that you're here. Also, uh, we at want to, would love to get to meet you if you're in the room and we have a gift to give you. And so at the end of the service today, if you'll somehow during today, today's service, during the teaching or somehow uh, somewhere sometime, fill out the connect card that's located in the seat back of that chair in front of you. And before you leave, uh, go back to the welcome table. There'll be a host there. They'd love to give Give you a gift and meet you today and uh, give you a gift for being with us today. Also, if you're new online, we'd love to give you a gift as well. So just let us know. They're posting a connect card right there in your uh, chat right there online. So you can let us know that uh, you're joining us and we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone that's watching online as well as all those that are new with us in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. Yeah, so grateful you're here. So the story of scripture is one that leads us to know God. It's also a narrative and a miracle of compilation of scriptures that leads us to know what he wants for us. This is the beautiful part of what scripture shows us. See, scripture shows you and I to the extent that God went to restore the connection that we were created to have with God, a connection that was perfect in the beginning, but sin broke that connection, and sin is the reason that every one of us today have a broken connection with God, and that connection with God is broken. It's the reason also, sin is also the reason that Jesus, the God-man, would enter this world, enter our world, to live the perfect life that we all fail to live. This is why Jesus had to come, to live the perfect life that no one humanly possible can live. And he knew that when he was here on this earth, that his purpose was to die, to, pay the, to take upon himself the punishment for all of humanity's sin for whoever would trust in him. And Jesus knew that he would defeat death through his resurrection so he could give life to all who trust in him as Savior and follow him as Lord. See, Jesus came into this world to free us from being slaves to sin. And Jesus came so you and I can experience a full life, life to the full in him. All we have to do is receive him as our savior and respond to him as a Lord. And, then, and, and, and this is, we can experience this. And this is why we're looking at burn, the idea of burn the ship. See, we have to burn the ship on our old life and not longingly look back to that old life from which he's set us free. And this is what the series is all about. See, we experience, this is the series' big idea, we experience true freedom and fulfillment when we com uh, completely trust in Jesus as our Savior and wholeheartedly commit to following Jesus as Lord. Now I want to remind ourselves where we've been in this journey because I want you to walk in this freedom that Christ has set you free to walk. I want you to experience the fulfillment that Christ said, hey, I've come that you may have life to the full. And so in week one, uh, we decided that we're not going to look back to the things from which Jesus has set us free. We're not going to look back to the longingly look back to the life from which Jesus Christ, our Savior, has set us free. We're going to burn the ships on our old lives. And then last week, we looked at the, a foundational truth. It's one of the foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus. That when Jesus is our Lord, sin is no longer our master. 
We talked about that last week and we've talked about how in Christ we have burned the ship that we are not mastered by sin. And today we're gonna burn another ship, a ship that creeps into our harbors, a ship that has in my life been something that once I burned this ship, it's, I experienced a new freedom and a new fulfillment in God. And, and today it's a sh- we're gonna talk about a ship that creeps into the harbors of our lives. And what this ship does is it comes into us and it begins to kind of chisel away. It kinds of eat out the, 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 our, and slowly erode our confidence in God and our trust in him. Also this ship, if it gets into the harbor of our lives and, it gets, and we start to do, give into this and it'll create a cancer in the community of Christ. And it's a ship that makes us want to longingly look back and it makes us want to longingly look around and compare. And today, we're gonna burn the ship on comparison. And here's the teaching big idea that I want you to to understand. So we're gonna tell you it now and then we're gonna see it play out throughout the day. Is be aware, but don't compare. Be aware, but don't compare. Because comparing is a trap. Comparing ourselves is a trap that keeps you and I from experiencing the freedom and the fulfillment and the fullness that God came into this world to give you and I. See, people who live their lives constantly comparing themselves to what they used to be, what they should be, or they're comparing themselves to other people, they don't experience true freedom and they don't experience the fulfillment that God wants them to experience. See, comparing can cause us to be disillusioned to the work of God in us and our comparing can quickly become a cancer in our community because it's contagious and and, and because of what comparing leads to. It can destroy things. See, comparing can quickly lead to complaining, coveting, and judging. Comparing leads quickly to these things. As soon as I begin to compare, I can quickly jump to begin, uh, jump to complaining so fast. See, I, as soon as I begin to compare, I'm going to complain about what I used to have and what I don't have now. I, I, as soon as I begin to compare uh, how people treated me or, or how I think I should be treated with how people treated you, as soon as I begin to, comp- I can, I can begin to complain about that. I can complain about how people have, have God has treated you compared to what God has tra- treated me. And as soon as I begin to compare, I can also begin to quickly covet. <laughs> I compare what I don't have with what you have. And now I want what you have. And I'll compare my health with your health. I'll covet your health. I'll compare my abilities or my lack of abilities with your abilities or talents. And what I'll do is, I'll, man, I'll covet your talents. I wish I could do what you do. And I'll compare my pain um, with your perceived, uh, my perception, the easy life that I perceive. And you know what I can do is I can covet, man, I wish I had it as easy as you do. See, we can quickly go here when we compare and we can quickly jump to being a judge (laughs) and we can begin to judge people. See, we can get here so quickly and today I want you to realize how quickly we can get here. Because we can quickly judge why others shouldn't have what they have. And we put ourselves in in this place of judge when we compare and we can quickly judge why we deserve something more than something other, someone else we think deserves that. 
We quickly judge. And we put ourselves in God's place, making ourselves the judge of what others should or shouldn't have. And, and, but this is not new, is it? You know, because I think this has been around since the beginning of humanity's sin and, and since the beginning of time. And God shows us this through Scripture. See, God had just demonstrated in, the, in a, his devotion to Israel in an exhibition of power that by delivering Israel from 400 years of slavery. And in this time, Israel's now on the other side of the Red Sea. This incredible miracle that hundreds of thousands, if not a million plus people experienced. God showed them as their protector. God showed them as their provider. So now they're on the other side of the Red Sea, protected from their pursuers. And now they are, have been provided for. Egypt had given everything. They, they, they sent off Israel with what they need. They just handed it over to them. And God provided what they would need for this journey. And now it, all this wealth, food, and livestock is with them. And God has provided them many resources. However, they see themselves in the middle of a desert. And they'd gone three days now. Three, only three days without water. Three days on the other side of God delivering through them through this Red Sea. And now three days later, we read in Exodus 15 what happens. And when they came to Marah, we read in verse 23, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah literally means bitter water. And so the people grumbled. Now I want you to just think about that word grumbled. Because they grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now that word grumbled is a fun word, not just in our language, but it's also the same in the Hebrew language. That word grumble is what they call an anamonopoeia. An anamonopoeia, if you know what that means, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a word that sounds just like the action. They grumbled, they grumbled, they grumbled. It's a word that sounds just like that. And here they were set free, 400 years of slavery. And God just provided them with the provisions from Egypt. And he just proved his amazing power to deliver them, to save them, to be their deliverer. And now he has protected them on the other side of the Red Sea. And see how quickly they begin to compare. See how quickly they begin to look back. And when they compare, it leads them to complain. Oh, this water isn't as good as what we had in the Nile River. This water's bitter. You ever gone to a place and, and the water wasn't as good as in that city where you were at as it was before and you just noticed it? Well, this was even much worse. And, and only three days now going without water. And when they get to water, they take their eyes off God who just did the most incredible miracle three days ago. Three days ago, they experienced this incredible deliverance of him being their protector and their provider. And now they begin to complain. And God directs Moses to throw in an act of grace, throw the branch into the water. God turns the water clean so they can drink it. Now you would think, like I would think in this moment, if I were, man, I would definitely put my eyes back on God quickly and not complain, but they don't. Israel then comes to a land of a limb where springs and fresh water flows and they're there for some time. We don't know how long. Then God tells them to take up camp, pack it all up and they take up camp and they set out again. And we read this in verse 16, verse one, that the whole Israelite community set out from a limb and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, 
the whole community, look at this, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, not just Moses this time, they've included Aaron, his brother. And they said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. See, they longingly look back and forget what Christ has done for them. See, they should have looked back. Yeah, I think they should have looked back. And you know what they should have done? Oh my goodness, look what God has set us free from. Look at this. Look where we came from. Look what the Lord has done to fulfill his promise that he told to our forefather Abraham. He is faithful. But no, they say, if only God would have killed us back in Egypt, we'd be better off than we are here. Writer goes on, there we sat around pots of meat. They compared the food they ate and ate all the food we wanted. And then they point the finger at Moses. But you, Moses, have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. See how quickly they're comparing? Now leads them to coveting what they used to have. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day in this way. Look at this. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. See, God will test our obedience to him. And when we, I mean, honestly, we got to recognize we're like Israel. See, when Israel began to compare what they currently had with what they used to have in Egypt, they grumbled and complained. And they coveted what they didn't have, meat. And they lost trust in God as their provider. See, that's what complaining does. Complaining is distrust in God. Now, just for a point of clarification, there is a way to complain. We learned this in our series called Shadowlands in 2021 when we talked about the land of lament being in the land of sorrow that we can complain. God gives us permission and a procedure to bring our complaints. See, the process of lament shows us the proper way to complain, that we first turn to God. And when we turn to him, we come and we complain directly to him, who is our protector and our provider, the one we trust, and we boldly ask him to, in his help, and, 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 and then we praise and trust in him. However, the Israelites didn't first turn to God. They turn to each other. And then they turn to Moses and Aaron. They point their finger at him and complain about God and complain about Moses, their leader. See, complaining becomes so contagious in a community. As soon as we turn to someone else, complaining can become like a virus in the community of God. Complaining to others is not trusting that God will give you what you need. And it's not trusting in God's provision. Israel also coveted the meat they once had. They used to eat all they wanted, and now they forgot the pain of being a slave to Egypt. Often, like you and I, forget the pain of being a slave to sin. We forget the pain. See, we forget the pain that our sin caused Jesus. We forget the pain of really being separated from life because of sin and we forget the pain that our sin or sins cause others. And by coveting in this, we see they showed their self-righteous pride because coveting 
is the result of our pride, which causes us to believe we deserve that which we desire. That's what coveting is, is I deserve that which I desire. We deserve to have meat, they said, in a way. They're coveting the meat. was like, we deserved at least the meat we had in Egypt. We deserve to have at least what they have. After all, they're Egyptians. We're the people of God. We deserve to at least have it better off than them. We deserve to have this new this. Maybe that's in our life. Man, I deserve to have a new this. Or I deserve to have a new that. We deserve this. After all, look how much better of a person I am than they are. And look what they have. It's interesting because I believe God will test our trust in him to see if we will obey and not complain to others. See, there's no room from complaining to others in obedience. Complaining is permit to God is permissible in obedience. We can complain to him because he can take it. He's the one we can take this to. But complaining to others is not that. Because it leads to coveting. And in God's wisdom, he would make the final of the Ten Commandments that he would give Moses, do not covet. Because do not co- coveting, and coveting destroys not just our relationship with God, but coveting can destroy our relationship with each other. And when we begin to compare, it leads us to complain. We can see it leads us to covet, and it quickly also leads us to judge. And we see this in chapter 17, verse 1, that the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water again for the people to drink. Now, instead of, you'd think they would learn their lesson, right? But they don't. Instead of turning to God and trusting him, look what they do. So they quarreled. And if you want to highlight that in your, past, your scripture somehow, that word quarreled is a fun word. I'll tell you that here in a second. But they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. They demanded this in this quarreling. And that word quarreling is in the Hebrew language, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar or by any stretch of the imagination, but in studying this, you, this, this word quarrel has a legal connotation in the Hebrew language. It's, it's, it's a word that is used in a legal setting where judgments are made and sentences are given. And the word quarrel, and other times in the New Testament, is translated as complaint. And Moses replies to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. I only, they only saw what was in front of them. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They forgot the blessing of not being a slave. And they compare." By longingly look, looking back to what they had. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. See how quickly comparing led them to judging Moses? The Israelites were now ready to sentence him to death. Because that's what happens when we begin to compare. If we're not careful, we can join Israel and quickly jump to judging. And that's why judging is so dangerous. It puts us in the place of superior place where we think we have the right now to sentence someone. See, we need to burn the ship on comparison because comparing can quickly lead to complaining. Comparing can quickly lead to coveting. And comparing 
can jump straight to judging and condemning. We need to be aware, but not compare. See, comparing can disrupt the work of God in us by keeping us from being aware of the work Jesus has done for us. So be aware. Be aware of of your blessings and be aware of these things, but don't compare. So how do we be aware but not compare? Well, I wanna just give you some quick things that I've learned in my life. Well, be aware of our accomplishments. You need to be aware of your accomplishments, but don't compare your accomplishments to what others have or have not accomplished. We often will compare our successes to the successes of others. And I fell into this trap. And, and when I look at what I was able to do and compare it to what you were not able to do, I can then step into a place that I can now quickly judge you. And now it also works that we often compare our lack of success to the success of others, which is just as dangerous, or the perceived successes of others. See, when I compare my lack of abilities, my lack of talents, my, uh, my lack of accomplishments to your abilities, your talents, and your wide away array of accomplishments or the perceived success I see in your life, I can quickly judge myself. And I'll tell you something that comparing often leads to, that quicker than anything else, at least for me, is I can become my own judge. So I need to be aware, be aware of your accomplishments and mine, but don't compare. Next, be aware of my blessings, but don't compare what God has given me to the blessings others have or don't have. I need to be aware of your blessings and my blessings, but I don't need to compare our blessings because when I compare what I've done with what to, to what you, or when I compare what I have or I don't have to what you have or don't have, I can quickly complain about what I have or don't have. I can also quickly covet what you have and I don't have. And then I can quickly judge, well, you don't deserve that. You shouldn't have that. I deserve that more than you. So be aware, but don't compare. Don't compare so you won't complain. Don't compare so you won't covet. And don't compare so you won't judge. And we also need to be aware. See, be aware of your sins. But don't compare your sins to the sins or perceived sinlessness of others. We need to be aware. See, I need to be aware of my regrets. I need to be aware of my past sins. I need to be aware of those moments that I wish I could take back and not do it again. But I don't need to compare my regrets or those times with the other people's regrets. Well, I did that, because this is where it leads to. Well, I did that, but at least I didn't do what you did. Well, I did that, but I'm better off because I didn't do what they did. Hear the self-righteousness in that judgment? This is self, a self-righteous statement because my comparing turned me into a self-righteous judge. And that's not my place. See how quickly comparing can lead us to judge others? So be aware of your sins, but don't compare your sins with others. But also, don't compare your sins with the sinlessness of others because this leads to you judging yourself. 
And this is where the enemy would love to get you in that trap, judging yourself. See, when I see that I have a problem, but you seem to be doing really good in an area that I struggle, I can begin to judge myself. Quickly, I can go there. Maybe you can go there. You see the danger of comparing? See, comparing often ends in judging, and judging leads to self-condemnation. That's why we need to be aware, but don't compare. We can quickly jump to condemning ourselves. To condemn is to put a sentence on ourselves. See, I don't deserve that blessing. I don't deserve to be with him or to be with her. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't deserve is my sentence. And comparing doesn't just lead to self-condemnation. It leads to condemning others as well. It leads to judging others and, and putting a sentence on them. See, comparing myself to others can end up in judging others and condemning them and casting a sentence on them. This is why judging is so dangerous. There's, and, and it doesn't mean that we don't judge others. That There is actually a biblical way to judge. But putting a sentence on them we're to judge the believers in, 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 in this, and we judge others' actions without judging the person. And we're to do this with those in the community of Christ alone. See, this is what Paul instructs the, the church in Corinthians to do. And there's a, the difference is, is we don't cast condemnation and we don't put a sentence when we judge the action. And we need to avoid casting judgment with the sentence that says they don't deserve we need to avoid casting judgment with the sentences that said they should never have received that. See, judging leads to creating a sentence that we think we deserve or we think they deserve. It turns into self-condemnation or others' condemnation. And we need to burn the ship on comparing because it leads to condemnation. We need to burn the ship on condemnation and self-condemnation. We need to burn this ship by burning the ship on comparison. The Apostle Paul talks specifically about condemnation to the Roman church. And last week we looked at Romans chapter 5 and 6 where Paul implores and appeals to you, see who you are in Christ. And when you are in Christ, you realize that sin is no longer your master. You are in Christ and you are not in Adam. So live as if you are in Christ. And then... In chapter 7, he begins to go through this, uh, this monologue, if you will, because I believe he's orating this and someone else is writing this down as he's talking this out. And he talks about comparing himself to the law. And the law which was given, the law of Moses, which was given to reveal our sin. This is the purpose of the law, to show us where we sin. And then he shows the trouble that he faces in comparing that, that, that comparison leads to. And I want you to listen to the struggle that he shares. He goes, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is the spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate which I think everyone reading this in Rome, in that church in Rome, would say, yes, yeah, I get that. And maybe you and I reading this nowadays, yeah, I get that. I mean, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. In fact, I hate that I do the wrong thing. And Paul says he can identify with you. And then he goes on to verse 16, but I know if what I'm doing, that, that what I'm doing is wrong. 
But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, look what he says. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So in other words, he's saying, if I recognize that what I did or what I'm doing is wrong, then I'm recognizing that that law is good because it just revealed that this is wrong. So he goes on to say, I'm not the one doing wrong. It is something else. It's sin living in me that does it. He's recognizing that there's another power. He'll talk about this a little bit later. It's another power at work still, even than those who put their faith in Jesus. There's another power, and it's still trying to creep up, and, and, and it's rising up in us, and, it wants to, and we need to wrestle that down and put it and submit it to the power of the Holy Spirit. See, anytime we acknowledge that what we do is wrong, we acknowledge that sin is living in us and we acknowledge that there is a struggle and this is not a bad thing to acknowledge our sin. It's not a bad thing to confess that we have sin because this is where God's power works through us because we need to be aware. That's what confession is. I'm aware. <laughs> and I'm also, that we're, I'm aware I'm going to sin, but I can confess that, I can be aware of that and I'm aware that when I sin, I can do something. And this is what Paul says next. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I think we all would say that. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And maybe this is you. Like at times, it's me. Maybe you feel the same way. See, I, I know I need to stop. I know I need to make a different choice. I know, but I, I, I need to not make the, the wrong choice, but the right choice. And I know what the right choice is. But in the moment, it's hard and I can't. And I need to recognize that. But I hate it because I end up doing what I don't want to do. And Paul's like, I know exactly where you are. But he goes on. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, and this is what I want you to lean into. See, this principle that he says is at, at work. In those of us who put our faith in Christ, who are in Christ, there's a, there's, there's a principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I mean, I know this. Maybe you've seen it. I know I want to honor my wife, but in that moment, the word I say, the words I say, and the choose in that moment, they don't. They disrespect her. And I knew it as soon as I let it out of my mouth. And I knew it before I even said it, but I had a, I just, it, this urge said, and I dishonored her and I shouldn't have said it. I sh oh man, I wish I could take those words back, but I can't. I wanted to be the good dad in that moment, but in that moment, just the frustration and my anger and all those things that are on, but in that moment, I know I shouldn't have, have, have said that in the way I said it, but I did. I know I shouldn't have do, done it. Maybe you want to do what's right at work, but in that moment, you messed that up. You want to honor God, but when, no one, and, and, but when no one's watching, you don't honor him. Paul goes on, I love God's law with all my heart. My love is for God, but there is another power, and this is the principle. There is another power at work within me that is at war with my mind. This is for another day, another time. But there's a war in your mind. There's a battle in your mind. Every day as a Christ follower, we got to struggle against. We got a war against. And this power, he says, makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me 
Oh, what a wretched man is what another translation says. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will free me? Who can come in? Who can help me? Because I can't help myself. You can't help yourself. Who can help you? Who can free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer is not in you. The answer is not in a self-help book. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I can't, but Jesus can. I can't defeat sin, but Jesus can. Through the Holy Spirit, we now can join Jesus by trusting in him, and we can daily defeat the power, that war within our mind. And we can overcome. In those moments where we wish we would have gone back and we, we, we can't go back in time and make up for that regret, but what we can do, we can confess it because we can be aware of what we've done. We can be aware of God's perfect gift of grace to us. And we can move on. <laughs> and we can join him. We can join Jesus because he is not just a Christ. He's our Lord. And we follow him and join him because sin is no longer our master. Jesus is. So he goes on to say, you see it is how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because sin, because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And in this, you can almost hear the self-condemnation that he has. But Paul is aware of his sin. He's aware of what Jesus has done. He's aware of all of this, and he and what he does is he looks to Jesus. And as soon as Paul looks to Jesus and realizes the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says something amazing. See, we're not to be aware. I mean, we are to be aware. We're not to compare. And look what he says not next. Because, therefore, in fact, and all of what I said is therefore this reason. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For this, through Christ Jesus, the Spirit, law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death there's no condemnation when jesus has set you free you are set free from having to compare yourself you can burn the ships on self-condemnation you can burn the ship on comparing yourself you can burn the ship on condemning others you can burn that ship on, on coveting and complaining you can burn those ships because you are in christ jesus and who you are in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You don't have to compare what you have or don't have because of what Jesus Christ has already given you and who you are in him and what you have in him. There is no condemnation. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to receive condemnation from others because of who you stand and who you are as you stand in Christ because there is no condemnation because where the spirit of the law, the law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin, in death. See, condemnation occurs when we compare ourselves to anything other than the work of Jesus. See, comparing condemnation occurs when we compare ourselves to anything other than what Jesus has done for us. This is the reason we become self-condemning when I forget who I am in him. This is the reason you can jump to self-condemnation because you forget who you are in Christ. And this is the reason we can jump to condemning others because we forget who we should be in Jesus. So what do we need to do? How can we be aware but not compare? Well, I will only compare myself to the work that Jesus has done for me. That's what I'm, I'm gonna compare myself to. 
This is the daily walk. This is the daily struggle that, that, that we, we work in obedience with the Holy Spirit. I'm only gonna compare myself to the work of Jesus. I'll be aware of my sin, but I'm not going to compare my sin or to anything else other than who I am in Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Lord, my Master. I have forgiveness in him. I have the Holy Spirit's now, his powers to help me to obey him as Lord. And I will be aware of my sins when, they, when I commit them. And I will confess them. And I will be aware of who I am in Jesus. And I will keep that from hurting those around me and even hurting myself. And also, so what's that mean? I'll be thankful and not complain. You want to flip this? Be thankful. Don't complain. Be thankful for who you are in him. Don't complain about what you've done. You can't go make that up. You can't go make that right all the time. But you can thank him for who you are in him. Be thankful for what Jesus has done for you and, not complain, and don't complain about what's been done to you. And if you complain, take it straight to him. Ask him and then end up with thanksgiving. Be thankful and not complain because when we complain, we can quickly jump to this place of self-condemnation and he, God, does not want you to live there in self-condemnation. He came to set you free from that. I'll celebrate and not covet. I'm gonna celebrate my blessings. I'm gonna celebrate your blessings and I'm not gonna covet them. I'm gonna celebrate God's blessings on others and not covet those blessings thinking that I deserve them for myself. I'm not gonna put myself in that position. I'm not gonna compare. I'll be aware. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be aware and I'm gonna celebrate that with you. And this is something that God worked in me probably 10, 11 years ago in ministry. And I was working so hard for God my perceived success wasn't compared to the perceived successes of others. I became so self-condemning and it destroyed the fulfillment that God wanted me to experience. And it can destroy the fulfillment and the freedom that God wants you to experience. See, genuinely celebrating successes, successes of others can keep you from being self-condemning and it'll also keep you from condemning them. So I'll celebrate God's blessings and not covet them, and then I will encourage and not judge. I'm gonna encourage people. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quickly judge people. Pete Scazzaro writes this in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He says, we judge when we turn our differences into a moral superiority. As soon as I, 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 I look at you and I judge your actions, and then I think I'm so much better, that's the place we can't go, but that's the place we often go. And often, we condemn ourselves. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit who gives life, who gives you life, and you life, and you life, has set you and you and you and you all free from the law of sin. So we'll accept people, we'll challenge them and uh, implore them to look to Jesus and encourage them by sharing our story about what Jesus, our Christ and our Lord,
has done for us. Be aware. Don't compare. Do you need to burn the ship on self-condemnation today? Many of us do. Maybe you need to burn the ship on comparing because it leads to complaining and you know you need to burn that ship. Maybe coveting is something and it's because you're comparing. You need to burn that ship. We're gonna sing this song and this is what I want you to do. I want you to reflect. I want you to use this time between you and God. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. Maybe this is the moment you do that. Will you listen to the song, sing it together? And let's burn the ship today.